hello and welcome to this episode of Putting It Together with the National Theatre of Scotland. How are you doing? Good to be here. I'm back at Rock Villa and um, in my happy place, enjoying the studio here. And I've just had the most wonderful conversation with the actor Billy Mack. Um, many of you will know him from, I mean, his extensive theatre work over the last number of decades, I'd say. Um, a brilliant, brilliant actor and a, and a really top class human being. Um and I've got to just be totally honest and tell you this conversation exceeded my expectations. Um, I just, yeah, I'm really happy to have talked to Billy. I think he's a good soul and I'm hoping that you will get a sense of that from this interview. Um, and, you know, we hear a wee bit about his his life, a really interesting uh, way of getting into, you know, where he is um, with growing up and different jobs and things. And also we talk about the Chevy at the Stag and the Black Black Oil and the, the production of which is, is coming back and um, very soon um, and just other work that he's done and also just life and yeah great just the kind of thing I love to sit and have a, a long conversation with someone about life and art and what it's all about put it together a bit you know so um, delighted to have had Billy and uh, I hope I'm sure that will come across so I hope that you're well too and um, thank you very much for joining me um, now, in case you're just joining um, because of the National Theatre of Scotland connection, um, we're into now, we're over 100 episodes, I think this is maybe 121. So there's 120 odd episodes in the archive that you can access at any time. Just go to your, I mean you're probably on it already, but if you're looking for them you go to your podcast provider and you just search Putting It Together, look for that wee uh, orange microphone in the logo and you'll you'll see it right there. All your favourite actors, writers, directors, musicians, different things like that, with mostly in Scottish theatre. And uh, if you've got an idea of, of someone that you think I should be interviewing that I haven't already, then then let me know. Um, you can do that just through social media. Just look up Putting It Together. Um, or you can drop me a line, brian at puttingittogethercast.com. So anytime, love to hear from you. I've had some lovely emails. In fact, um, there's one that I want to, that I want to share with you um, from a long-time listener. Um... Nicholas Stevens. I'm just going to read it to you because I love everything she said and I'd love to just respond to it on, on the show. Hi Brian, she says, thank you so much for your brilliant podcasts. I especially loved listening to the two most recent with Kirsty McDuff and Sarah McCarty. They were incredibly easy to listen to. I love the little anecdotes from Kirsty and Sarah's insight into the professional life of a performer. No matter who your guest is though, some of my favourite moments are when you chip in with your own thoughts and experiences. To be honest, I could quite happily just listen to you talk for an hour, but it might not be as exciting for you to do. Um, and she carries on. I do find it very interesting when you mention amateur theatre, as you did this week when you mentioned about going back to basics, i.e. not turning back to the audience, etc., as my life is in amateur theatre. However, there is, quotes, rank amateur, brackets, village hall type stuff, and a slightly higher level. I'm involved in an amateur company in the unusual position of owning our own purpose-converted theatre. Unlike most amateur companies, especially musical societies who rehearse for months and months on end, we just do plays, and our average rehearsal period is six to seven weeks. That's six to seven weeks of just three hours at a time, three nights a week. A total of 54 hours rehearsal. I don't know exactly how many hours a week you would rehearse in professional theatre, but I'm guessing that would equate to around a week and a half. As a consequence, as soon as we start rehearsing, it's all-encompassing. It takes over our lives totally for the entire duration, and we have to put a lot of thought into character subtleties, etc. in our own time, because the finer points are usually the bits that we just don't have time to do in rehearsals. 
The point of me prattling on like this, and there is a point, honestly, is that I have an incredible high standard of expectation for a regional market town amateur theatre group. And, as there are no professional theatres within an hour's drive of our town and absolutely no part-time performing arts education in the whole of the East Midlands, listening to your podcast has kind of become my way of learning stuff. I like pushing the boundaries in performance within limitations of both our facilities and the audience's acceptance. We're putting on the Pittman Painters at the moment. We open tomorrow for two weeks and we're including a partial nude scene for the first time. Brackets, me, eek. I sometimes find that I really don't have anyone to talk to who gets where I'm coming from when I talk about what is the right thing to do for the characters. Despite not being paid to perform, I still want to give a professional end result. I don't know any professional actors or teachers. I know I'm only listening to your podcasts, but they really do give me that reassurance that my views are valid. You have no idea how much I appreciate that. Thank you so much for making your insight into the theatre world so public. I'm incredibly jealous of both the breadth of professional theatre in Glasgow, but also the scope of courses and education. I don't get to go as often as I would like, but hopefully one day I will be able to tie in a visit with a show that you're doing. Thank you so much again, take care, and I look forward to listening to next week's podcast, usually while I'm putting away the kids' laundry. Nicholas Stevens. So, um, I thought it would be wonderful to share that, because I really loved what Nicholas said about the process of, of putting on their amateur productions, and it seems like quite a a big outfit they've got going on down there. Um, Nicola, I'd love to come down and visit you at some point. Um, maybe work together or something. I don't know. So yeah, it just it's amazing the the scope um, that we have here to to be heard. Um, because of course it doesn't matter where you are. Um, you're able to you know for the most part you're able to access these podcasts. So I know that Nicola's been listening for a long time and she often sends little comments and um off and also has been one of our donators as well so that's wonderful um and i think it's good to hear that because it 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 might be um the kind of reassurance or support that another uh, person in a similar position to nicola might need um so if you're plugging away and doing doing your thing like nicola then more power to you keep going fantastic and i love that because it's something that we talked about with billy as well um about having community um, companies involved with professional actors as well and how often the the people in the community company kind of almost shows up or teaches a thing or two um about about commitment and about drive um and about willingness to, to go the extra mile and stuff like that so it was exciting to hear billy talk about that and it's it's mirrored there in in what nicola said so i won't keep you any longer i think it's about time we got on to our guest of the week it's billy mack and he's with me and we are putting it together Well, we started now, so that's it. Okay, that's how we've already started. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Sometimes people go, "What we started?" No, I, didn't know. I, I, I didn't mean to tell you that. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> so, how are you? Are you all right? I'm good. I'm very good. Good. Right. It's nice to see you. I never see you these days. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I'm just missing you. Stuff like Oran Moore and stuff when you're doing the. Yeah. But mind you, I saw it, the the the. Or more you did with Dave Anderson and Maureen. Oh, the Czech Murray one. The Czech Murray one, and I, oh, yeah. I saw it. I saw it on uh, on the BBC. Yeah, yeah. On, yeah. And a uh, brilliant man. I oh. But I mean, I was, I was, I knew, I knew you had a, a modicum of talent when I was working with you, <laughs> but I didn't realise. No, it was really good. I really enjoyed it, and I, I loved Dave and Maureen as well. Um, good people. Yeah, really good people. Maureen, Maureen and I started at the Scottish Youth Theatre together. Did you? Yeah, a hundred years ago. 
I mean, she's a lot older than I am. But, uh, <laughs> well, miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were in uh, in youth theatre together, and and she went on to to join the Lyceum straight after. When the, um, it was a company. This, yeah, 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 the Lyceum yeah. company. And so, um, yeah, she, she was doing the Peter Pan Man, and I was doing um, the Golden Mask of Agamemnon at Jordan right. Hill. Um, wow. And what Mer- in the Crawford Theatre? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I've be, I've played in there. Would you believe? Well, I don't really, know if it still exists, but when I was a kid, I did shows in there. Well, Mary McCluskey yeah. from the Scottish, she was our warden at the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, goodness me, that, that's going back a few years. A few. But there years. weren't there a few people in that kind of era that went to SYT though. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was if, if for me, it was the best thing that's ever happened. You know, I got yeah. away from the family at summer to go and stay with all these kind of. Students that wanted to be up on the stage, lovies and that. Right, 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 thought, right. Yeah, here we go. So yeah, it was um, a lot. Of, a lot of people passed through the Scottish Youth Theatre on the way to to professional work, I suppose. Yeah. Where did you live at that time? You had to come to Glasgow for that. A place called Forest, up near Inverness. Right. right um, okay. So my dad was based at Kinloss, and so we lived in Forest for on and off, practically all my life. I've lived in. Forest for a few years and then move away and then go back and then move yeah. away and then go back because my, with my father been on Nimrods um, yeah. the only bases that we had were Kinloss, St Morgan and Malta so wherever right, we went okay. we kind of backed to one of the three of them So so where does your accent come from then? Well Originally, I was I was born in Abercrombie Street in Bridgeton. Right. My dad was from Maryhill and my mother was from Denison. Oh, okay. I, I was around there for years that area well, that's where I was born, um, where where Templeton's is. That used to be a, a factory. The old carpet factory. A carpet factory, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was born there. And then my father was in the, the apprentice strike on the Clyde. Mm. My mother was heavily pregnant, and he decided that security was needed in the family, and so he joined the Air Force. Right. And so that was it. We kind of, hence the reason I got the English accent, because I travelled about. Just the moving and, about. And just when you're at that influential age where accents stick, it must have been somewhere where they were quite Englified. Yeah. I suppose all my schools I went to were service children were in the schools as well, so that was a kind of accent that stuck. But believe it or not, the majority of my life in Scotland, and an <laughs> accent north. like this, up north of Scotland wow. as well. Wow, and born in the East End. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. And then I suppose you've also you carried on up north. I mean, how long did you spend at Dundee? Um, I was there... Um, my first time I was there six months and then the last time that was when Hamish Glenn was there right. and then the last time I was there for 23 months right? Okay. just under the two years when Joe was there or when Joe it came was, in during that time yeah yeah um, uh, Jemima was the the one who employed me yeah um, and it was and the first show uh, the first show that we did was the, the Cheviot which was a real surprise because I'll be honest with you, I didn't know an awful lot about the Cheviot, the Stag yeah. and the Black, Black Oil. Um, I'd known it'd been an iconic play for, for years. I'd heard about it. Yeah. But I'd never actually read it or, or, or seen it, but I had heard about it. And then uh, my daughter, Mirren, was in a, a one-act festival, and they did an abridged version mm-hmm. of the Cheviot. And I thought, wow. What? This is what they've been on about all these years. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, and so uh, I kind of got it, and I, I put stuff up on social media saying, "Does anybody fancy fancy doing this?" And a few people got in contact. And I believe there was a, a rehearsed reading at at the Tron, but I didn't manage to see it. And then, lo and behold, I had a meeting with Jemima up in Dundee, and then we had this workshop and a meeting 
with Joe Douglas and other potential cast members at, right. um, you know, to audition to, to be a part in, in, in the Chibi. And I thought, wow. And uh, everybody, everybody, every Scottish actor you can imagine was there at the audition and they all had different instruments. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the and line I, up. I was there like that. Oh my, I can play G, C and F, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but on a guitar, but, but not in any order. It's just, I can, they're the ones I can play. I don't know. But I managed to get in. I, um, for some reason they they accepted me and and it was one of the best jobs mm. i've had it was one of those um i i've got this i kind of grimace a lot when people give me notes and stuff especially directors and i, I kind of grimace and it's it's not um a reflection of the note that i've been given it's me trying to work it in my head i remember this about you know that you yeah, say it, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of gurney looking and oh what's so up with him kind of off, thing. Yeah. exactly and, <laughs> yeah. And so Joe, Joe Douglas came up, you're all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said, it's just you don't look like you're having fun. I said, yeah, no, definitely. He goes, well, we don't get paid enough not to have fun, mate. And so that was it. <laughs> and that's what the show was about. It was about having right. fun all the time while trying to tell a story. And obviously, when you, if, it, if you get to see it or, or if you know anything about the TV at the Stag and the Black Black Oil, it's a kind of condensed history of Scotland from... From the Highland clearances yep. uh, up to up to modern day, and that kind of tied in with the first show I ever did when I was at school in Malta. I was at I was at a service school in Malta, and I was a a bit of a, a dick, you know, I was an attention seeker, shall we say? I wasn't. No. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not, <laughs> I wasn't too clever at school, but I managed to, you know, I was the class clown and stuff like this, yeah. and, and I was offered a Wednesday night detention or audition for the school play. And so I auditioned for the school play, and it was a play called 1066 and all that, which was set in a waxwork. And again, it was the history of Britain right. from 1066 up into space travel. Right. So it was similar to the Chief in the Stag. But, you know, it, it a was British a Bre- kind of... Brechtian, you know, don a cap and become a character sure. kind of thing. So it, was a, it kind of ties in nicely with one of my first shows that I ever did and the first show that I've ever done with the National Theatre of Scotland. Brilliant. The same kind of show. But the the detention or so those two things were equal in the school. You can either have detention or you can audition for the play. Well, yeah, <laughs> seems but, odd to me. Right, I was. It's here's this dilemma. I've got a family that um, my elder sister was Oxbridge material, and she's a consultant RBS. Mm-hmm. Um, my younger sister is an engineer with. She was an engineer with Texaco. Um, my younger brother's an accountant. Mm-hmm. And I kind of slipped through the net. <laughs> Somewhere along the way. <laughs> but the thing is, um, my both my daughters have, have been diagnosed with dyslexia. And right. they dyslexic and my youngest has got island syndrome and dys, she's dyspraxic as well. So so she's got a lot of issues that that, that are kind of that may be hereditary. Right. And, may, and so there's a gene that, that, that when I was at school, it wasn't recognised as dyslexic or anything like that. You were just a, a bad influence and, you know, yeah. a bad penny. And I was I was in the same class as my older sister, Linda. And as I said, she was Oxbridge material, whereas I got to open the milk and make rock cakes. That's as <laughs> far as I got. Okay, okay. And so I think, I think it was recognised early doors that, in fact, my headmaster in Padstow, uh, Mr. Sleeman, he told my mum I'd either own a casino or end up in prison. <laughs> that was that was you know, primary. Wow. Primary one, primary two. Own a like casino. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's sleazy, uh, but it sounds like great fun. Well, I'm not in prison <laughs> <laughs> by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. But do you uh, do you ever go in a casino or gamble or anything? 
No, no, I've got so many vices that I'm scared. That's how I am. I'm scared that I would, I would, I play a bit of online poker through that. Um, it's a, a social media site, and it's not with real money. Okay. And I'm a billionaire in that. Right. Okay. And, it, and it lures you. You think if I can do this, <laughs> yes. For the, yeah. I wonder if I could risk a little tenner. But so far, touch wood. I've, I've, I haven't been tempted because I'm too scared of losing and too scared of being addicted. Yeah, I've, I've got one of these. I believe it's an addictive personality. If I try something that I like, then I just overindulge. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. And I've done it with gambling, like on a very small scale. So what I do is I just body swerve it. Like if people are going to a casino, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't really, you know, because yeah. I will do a little bit. I'm saying I'm, I'm scared of even doing even... a little bit. Okay, I'm just. Right. I think. Like puggies, I've seen my mates put a load of money in puggy machines, yeah. you know, and I, and I must admit, when they're paying out, I'm like, that. Oh, I wish I'd put my, my pound <coughs> coin in. But yeah, yeah. And I've seen guys, I, I worked offshore for a number of years, and I've seen guys lose their wages gambling oh, you know, easy. in yeah, car yeah. school. And, and if you're away for two weeks, and you go home to your wife and kids with nothing in your pocket, you know? So, nah, I'm not going down there. You worked offshore? Yeah, yeah. When was that? Uh, in the 80s. Right. In the 80s. What happened was, I'd, after being at the Scottish Youth Theatre and stuff like that, um, my dad recognised my, my my kind of strong points were my acting. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's one thing that, that was of value that I could do that was... Um, credited and you know, I got a tick on yeah. that box. Yeah, 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 that's one thing I could do. So academia, I wasn't very good at. Um, I was. I'm a good worker. I was always a good grafter. Like if somebody sent me a challenge, then I'd do it to the best of my ability, work-wise. So I'd always, when I'd been at school, I'd worked after school um, on a farm, yeah, um, or um, delivering stuff, you know, milk and, and stuff. I've always had this ability to earn money. I've always had this want and drive yeah. to earn money. Um, and my dad recognised that that I wasn't academia wasn't my strong point. So we'll just say that. And so when when I got into my acting and stuff like that, he he kind of thought, wait, this is something that Billy can do. And my dad was, although he was in the air force, he kind of he was a bit of a folk singer, and he had a folk club, and he had a radio program on BFBS Radio. Oh, very cool. Oh, he was a bit of a character, and yeah, I yeah. think he realised that. For him, he I don't think he really wanted to be in the Air Force. I think he was just young and having kids and stuff needed that security, but I don't think that was what he really wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, he died when he was 43, so he never really got the chance to to follow his dreams. You know, he was just in the Air Force that whole time. That's so young. Well, I was at drama school at the time. Really? Yeah, wow. and so, as I, as I said, he encouraged me to follow my dream and follow my dream, and then, and then he went and died, the little sod. You know, and it was... And, my mum was, so my mum just turned 41 when my dad died and I was at drama school and I'll be honest with you, I was a, coming from Forest, the small town, I was a, a big fish up there. I was, oh, that's the actor boy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to Glasgow to the academy and there were bigger fish than me. Everybody, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I wasn't as confident as I thought I was. And plus when my dad died, my mum was by herself and I thought, I, I want to go home. And so yeah. I gave up drama school. And went home and then thought, well, I need to earn money. So I did various things. I was a club manager um, for the NAFI. And then I went down and I was working in the construction industry in London. Right. And then the interest rates went up. And I ended up thinking, oh, 
what can I do? I'll go offshore. So my sister was an engineer with Texaco, so I managed to get a survival course. She managed to book me on a survival course, and then I just rang up different companies and pestered them and eventually got a job with Penrod, a drilling company. Right. And I went offshore, started off as a, a roustabout, and then worked my way up to a derrickman. Right. And so, yeah, it was... Wow. So what happens, you go to Aberdeen and then you get in a chopper or something and yeah, yeah. stay for a couple of weeks or is it? It was two weeks yeah. on the rig and uh, two weeks off. And the thing is, when you, it was the great thing about it was I, I drank like a fish at the time. And mm. so going offshore, I was two weeks completely dry. Yeah. yeah. So the first couple of days, well, you were sweating and rattling and shaking yeah. and that. And then, then you were completely dried out, feeling healthy. And, yeah. and, and then, then as soon as you got offshore, <laughs> straight on the bevy again. And, you know, I think that's yeah. pretty common in, in people, in offshore workers now. It, it, or at least it was then. It was. Uh, I was in, in, in the boot room before we go on tower, before we go to work. Um, the majority of the guys there were were single, divorced separated and yeah. I said oh never happened to me never happened to me and then one day I got a phone call on the radio room and it was, um, it was an American company and they, they called me Willie Mac Willie Mac get your ass up the radio room you got a phone call and I go up there and it was my partner saying no no, no more no more <sighs> and so she 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 left me and I thought well what do I want to do she's gone and I've been you know, money had been my main drive yeah and with her gone I thought Wait a minute! I really want to be an actor. Yeah, so you had the space then, in a way, to well, that's it. That. Well, I went back to the same drama school, right? And I got an application form and I filled it in. I auditioned on the I auditioned on the Friday, got the acceptance on the Tuesday, and went and worked six weeks offshore, which paid for my first year's fees because I'd already been a student ten years previous. Oh, so you didn't get the. Um, the I didn't get a grant, and so that that six weeks ended up paying for my first year's wow. studies. Gosh, did you do that again for the second and third year? Yeah, yeah no, I I managed to get finance for the second and third oh, year because you'd done the first only. But because I'd done that, I'd done the first year, and I was in my second year. Um, it was in February, my second year, that I I jacked it in. Yeah, yeah. So you stayed for six weeks offshore instead of two. Yeah. Was that harder? Not known. I knew, I knew what I wanted. I knew that I was just yeah. after the money. There was an end in sight. And there was an end in sight. Yeah. And plus, if you'd seen me offshore, you'd realise I was an actor. I walked about with a Stilson over my shoulder and a bit of oil <laughs> on my forehead, going, oh, busy, busy, busy. <laughs> you were at it. <laughs> For two weeks. Right, okay. Very I think good. that's another thing. I managed, I was, a, again, the joker on the crew and stuff. Sure. And so I, a lot of my time was spent on the drill floor chatting. And, talk, and talking to other members of the, of the crew and, and senior management, but purely as as a way of passing time, they'd get me to do a couple of sketches and stuff. Right. In fact, there was a there was a walkway where the drill pipe was laid and and um, going up to the drill floor, a big big V door. And I'm kind of making gestures here, and I know this is a radio thing, so you can't see it. But, <laughs> but I had a plastic karaoke mic, and I was using the the ramp and the, the, the walkway as, as a kind of stage and pretending I was right. singing to people and if you'd if you, well you have heard my singing me the best <laughs> can what I mean oh pal. you can sing fine <laughs> we sang together and did we did yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you, you you sang and I said the words <laughs> the thing I loved about working with you that I remember now was we were doing the Resistible Rise of Arturo Ui as you know uh, that Brechtian thing again of putting on the hat and yeah. getting on with it and I'll never forget you coming out as Billy at the beginning and just charming people in the audience. Like we're in some village hall somewhere and you were just, before we even started, 
you were, how you doing? Are you all right? And just like, they were all falling in love with you. Uh, we oh, hadn't even started. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> in your little suit, you know, uh, like goodness. a gangster. I well, one try. I don't, that, see, that's a, that's a beauty about being an actor. You get you get to wear suits every now and again. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody else dresses you, I know. Yeah, you look spiffier than you do in your own clothes, I think. I don't. Well, I do. I, I've had, to, I've got two suits. One that I've, I must have got when I was about 25, 26 bit kind of wide lapel and it's a bit tight around the waist now but you can still get it on well i wear a belt and the top button undone yeah yeah but um but that's it and then my wife actually bought me my my eldest daughter graduated from guild hall just mm-hmm. in the summer there wow. and so my wife bought me a suit so that we could look posh <laughs> so you now have graduation. a suit that fits you yeah 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 and i can wear it with jeans as well it's kind of blue and you can wear right. it you're kind of casual Nice. Yeah, yeah, I think mm, so. That's good. I've got loads of suits, but none of them fit me anymore because I went through a phase of them, and now since I've put on a bit of weight. And... See, that's that's. An, I've stopped smoking. I stopped smoking for maybe a year and a half now. Did you? Years, and the weight. Boom, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've really put it on. You smoked a fair bit, though, yeah. Const- well, the thing is, that's another thing. That addictive personality. Of course, yeah, yeah. Smoke, smoke, smoke. Give it up for a number of years. Forget. Mm-hmm. Then smoke again. Oh, and then straight back to where I was. And now this time I've been clean. Um, for a year and a half, nearly two years, I, I should imagine. And so that's good. I can f- certainly feel the benefits of it. Yeah. Um, my wife actually lies next to me without getting asthmatic. Mm. <gasps> I always thought, oh, what's, what's going on here? Heavy breathing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was not good news. <laughs> no, it was the smoke. Like, uh, uh, oh no! Uh, so that's uh, that's remedied now. Well, that's uh, good. Do you uh, feel? Do you feel like? Do you think about it? Smoking. Yeah. People say it's really hard to do. I, I think I'm, I'm at the stage now where, I, where if I smell it, I feel a wee bit, well, um, you know, like... That's good then. Yeah, yeah, it's a rejection. And I think I know that if I was to take one drag of a cigarette, then I'd most probably be back Straight where back. I was. And my mother's a, a smoker, and I see I see my mother every day mm-hmm. um, when I'm not working. I, I pop down and say, or if I am working, but going back to Stirling, then I'll, I'll pop in and see her. Mm-hmm. Um, she lives around the corner from me, so right. I'll go there. And when I was... A secret smoker, so to speak. Um, I was all blaming. Oh, it's my mum. That's the nicotine off my mum. And that, in actual fact, oh, you were still me having a fly puff. So <laughs> that's that's all gone now. Tis gone, tis gone. So you notice it though, don't you? When you go into someone's house and they smoke in there, when you don't smoke, you go, "Whoa!" The like smell hits you right? and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and all those years that I was smoking, mm-hmm. the non-smokers must have been going like that. Oh, jeez. And you never know. And then, can you imagine? Yeah, it's when someone comes in from a smoke break and they come straight up to you, you know, or in a scene or something. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's right there, you know. But that's everyone's own. I know. But yesteryear, we used to smoke during rehearsals. Yes. And then, when when I was first up at Dundee, we used to pop across to the pub at lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah. Three three or four pints before we. What were the afternoons like? Uh, Lazy. Uh, I bet you thought you were doing well at the time. Absolutely. This Um, is great. We're coming up with great ideas. Well, that's another. (laughs) So I stopped drinking and uh, uh, this was uh, a few years back. I I decided right enough. And and I found out that after rehearsals, people were going to the pub Mm. and I was going home. Um, it, it kind of struck me I was working in Exeter at the time when I first decided to stop the old alcohol and then I was going in the next day and I, it was a new play because yeah, there was more stuff changes. discussed in the pub 
yeah. over a few drinks. And I'm like, that. oh, wait a minute, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, but it was discussed last night. Oh, well, well, and so there's disadvantages of not drinking. And that was that I didn't get in on the, the conversations that we yeah. had um, about but then again, have an addictive personality. Then it is, you know, I might have if I'd been in the pub. You might have missed it anyway. More than likely, <laughs> <laughs> it was a different version I was doing anyway. <laughs> What's he doing tomorrow? Oh man, yeah. Well, I totally feel you with that stuff. Yeah. I now I'm at the point where I go to the pub, but I don't drink. Like it's been so long since I drank that I can go and hear the conversation if there is one, right? And not drink, right? But in the beginning, when I stopped, it was I just had to avoid it, you know, right? Because like you, I'd say if, if I just the, even the thought comes in, I'll be away. But not now, thank God. Well, that's that's brilliant. That's a, a hurdle. I've kind of I've been on and off for maybe oh, well, my I was going to say for the past fifteen years, mm. I suppose. When what happened with my my daughters were were growing up with in a in a single parent family because I was drunk all the time. Wow. And so we had a chat about it, and I realised, wait a minute, I, I was, if I had been doing a show, and on the way home there's my local pub, and I was told if the lights were ever on, just bang the window, and, you know, they'll let us in the door. Mm-hmm. Well, that was like a red rag to the bull. For, yeah. for me, I was never home, so I was going home, you know, drunk at six o'clock in the morning, my wife was struggling with two young kids. Yeah. And um, the relationship between us wasn't wasn't good at all and then we realized that the reason that it wasn't good was because she didn't want to be with a drunk man yeah and so i thought oh here's an easy remedy i'll stop drinking bang and literally my my career enhanced overnight it was you know everything changed yeah from, it from, does yeah you know from that from that drinking stage um to that completely dry and it was for years for years and years and years never touched a drop and then i thought while I'm away from home, I can have a drink because it doesn't affect mm-hmm. my home life. And then you realise, well, wait a minute, that's you living a lie, and it's the habit that that, that was hard to break. And when you go back in, if you go back into it sneakily, like I was doing, mm. then it's wait a minute, to, yeah, where do you separate? So the best yeah. idea for me is completely dry. Yeah. And I've got this, I drink this beer in the, in at home and in the pub. It's an alcohol-free beer. And it's, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention its name, if it's yes, yeah. Erdringer, I think it's Oh, called. yeah, the big bottle. It's a big bottle of a kind of, and it's it actually not not bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it tastes kind of beerish. Yeah, yeah, they're though, getting better. Though I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because maybe that would just, because for years I was absolutely, I wouldn't even eat a liqueur chocolate or anything like that. I was, you know, right, stay right. away from anything that had alcohol in it. But now I think with the discipline that I've managed to beat myself up over the years, you know, yeah, yeah. Now I think I've managed to kind of control it. It's great. Which it's is tremendous. Yeah. You're right, though, that the improvements in other areas of your life seem to be almost instant. Literally overnight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, you miss out on, well, what do you miss out on? Nothing. Not much. Not much. Hangovers, misery. Well, and for also me. conversations, like going back to, when I did stay away, I stayed away from the pub for, for a number of number of years. In fact, mm. my local pub changed hand about three times. And uh, when I do pop in, the conversations are exactly the same as the conversations that I was having yeah. all those years ago, and they haven't changed one bit. Everybody's older. Yeah, but it's and, the same uh, carry on, yeah, isn't it? The same. You just think, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's mad. Yeah. yeah. 
But then, now, just to change direction slightly, since I've known you or known you as an actor, it seems to me like you've done a lot of really iconic plays. Yeah. You know, like, I think the first time I saw you was in, in Death of a Salesman at mm. The Rep, which was an amazing production. Yeah. But tell me a bit about that, because it's such a, such a key play, isn't it, in our history, theatrical it, canon, if you like. Okay, well, here we go again, Brian. Go on then. You didn't know anything about it Correct. until you got the gig. Joe Douglas found me. And he said, what do you think of Willie Loman and Death of Salesman? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, the thing is, you know, I, I think I, I prefer a challenge. And Joe said, well, I think it would be a challenge. And I was going, yeah, 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 all right. And I thought, right, I better read it. And so I got the play and I read it and I was in tears yeah. reading it. I thought, Wow. Wow, why didn't I mean? Obviously, I'd heard about it, but again, like the chief, it heard about it, but never actually been to see it or read it. And so, Joe phoned me up and said, "Look, it's all changed. They're not getting the we're not getting the rights to do it, and um, we're going to do Diary of Anne Fr- Anne Frank or something like that." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Oh, Joe, man, I was gutted. I was, you know, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it." And so he said, "Well, leave it with me," and he went away. And then he came back to me, goes, "Yep, yeah, it's happening." And we we went about that play now how do we, we we're going to try all these different kind of things with it um soundscapes and and, mm-hmm. and across characters and stuff like that but really i think when we took it back to the bare bones of what it was and the story it was i think when we started to work on that it it it, it kind of found its own feet it, it became really well grounded yeah. and joe was trying things that were were out there you know in a bit but for me I always believe in let's try it first. Yeah, and yeah. If it doesn't work, then we'll go a, a different angle. But try it, try it, try it. Don't just and don't dismiss don't it. Don't dismiss it until yeah. we've tried it. And that's the good thing about working at Dundee at the time and doing mm. that show. We could take our time and go down blind avenues that didn't work, you know. And working with Ewan as well, he 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 he'd. I think he'd played the character before in an, another production, and he he wanted more out of it than than what he'd previously got. And yeah. so he really pushed it to the limits. There were stages where I thought, um, if I didn't get a line exactly right, then he wouldn't come in. During rehearsals, mm-hmm. um, he wouldn't leave me like that on stage. But he pushed me to the limits. And so he pushed me to work hard. Mm-hmm. And the the more hard, the harder you work, ultimately, the more the reward. Yeah. And although it was a kind of lonely character, um, I was in a dressing room by myself. Usually, you know, you share dressing room. I was in a dressing room by myself, almost like being a dame. And uh, <laughs> and it was a lonely character being out there. And it's quite internal. A lot of it was insular. You know, it was taking the 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 the, the characters around you and and playing them, and then letting them dissolve into the background, and you playing it within your head and and kind of being an insular character. So yeah. a little bit selfish at times, um, because it is. All about what 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 was happening to Willie and, and you know and his dementia or you know the the visions that he was having and the the turmoil in his life the trauma yeah. of not having that goal that achievement that being able to pass on to his son so it was it was one of my f- favourite plays to do but the hard working yeah to get to get the solution you needed to dig deep and go far. And I think when I, the other show like that, I did um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf oh, um, years back with um, a stray theatre company, um, 
John Light, uh, John and David Lightbody. He's a uh, family up, up in uh, Dalmally. In actual fact, I'm sure the Cheviot's going to Dalmally, which would be great because I'm sure there's still family up there that were associated with the stray. But I did... Um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with that? And again, it was a dirty... You had to dig deep and go to some dark places to yes, be able to get the easy. essence of, of yeah. the characters out. So it's great getting the, the opportunity to to play those. And and Joe, bless him. I mean, he took a risk. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and he, he gave me... A, gave me a great opportunity and it was a lovely piece of work because everybody working with with Rini playing opposite she's easy to play play with and, and of course mm. I stay with Rini when I'm up in Dundee me she's too my second wife <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm glad we've never oh, been there together okay good so it's only a single bed <laughs> well oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well if you can get past the cats oh there's so many cats yeah. I think the cats might have passed on now Last oh. I spoke to her. Oh, oh one, dear. Or one ran away and one died. Oh, Very my heart. Oh, there you go. That's how a good a husband I am with Rini. I've, you don't even know about the cats? If I'm not there, that's oh, it. Out of sight, yeah. out of mind. <laughs> but she was great because she would go through every night. We'd go and talk about the text. And because she's, you know, Mrs. Theatre, she knows. She knows it in and out. Absolutely. And she's completely obsessed in the best way possible. So she's happy to sit all night and talk about it and run yeah. lines. And She did Absolutely. the same with me for Arturo. I know it's just really? fantastic, isn't it? And and your thing is that she doesn't get paid anymore no. for being the you know the one that looks after us. Yeah. And I mean, I get treated better at Rainey's than I do at my own house. I have <laughs> dinner ready for me, you know. I know the dinner getting made every night. What about that? It's all right, isn't it? I live on my own, so there's none of that. Rainey will need to stay with me if she's ever working in Glasgow. I know. I went to see them all in Urwelly as well. And oh, it was great. Was it? Yeah. Whereabouts did you see that? I saw it in Glasgow when it was at the Theatre Royal. Right. Yeah, brilliant, beautiful music. Um, I mean, I, I had my, I had my comments. Uh-huh. I won't go too deep into them, but I, once it started to find its, I thought it found its way. It's one of those shows that start. You're not sure at the start for uh-huh. me, and then by the end, you're completely on board. Good, good. That kind of thing. And I, but they were all brilliant. And Rini and Annie had some stuff together. Rini was the, the, the school teacher at one point and okay. Annie was the police officer and they're having this little flirtation and the two of them, just the timing between them, you know, was perfect. Good. That is lovely. That's lovely. So hear, that was great. It? Especially when you've got pros like them too. They're I mean, just a joy to watch. Well, that's the, the thing is you can learn. That is, one thing that I've learned over the years is you, you watch, look and learn. You're just, and, you know, new people coming in when... Dundee had the uh, the apprentices and stuff like that that mm. come up. Watch, watch them because they might just tick a box that you hadn't thought of, you know. And so I'm constantly thinking, mm, why did he play that like that? And why did she do that like that? And then you add it to your own portfolio. So it yes, comes up like, yeah. oh, how did you think of that? Oh, well, you know. Well, you know, no, you know me. Well, no, you know me. Stuff. I stole it. So <laughs> I yeah. get that thing where I sort of sometimes have to remind myself that I'm in the play because I'm so, I get so taken away by watching people's work. You know, yeah, it's fascinating. You know, in rehearsal, it? I mean, I'm watching. I'm going, oh yeah, I'm doing a thing. I'm watching you work and going, wow, oh, you know. Well, that's. I think I, for me, I a lot of stuff. I I, I like eye contact. Eye contact for me when you're doing a, a production is is yeah. you know where you can find out what the real thoughts are and stuff like this. And obviously, when you're trying to learn lines, it's you know you're looking down at your script and stuff like that. And but. But if you can get that contact, and so you're looking at people in the eyes and, and stuff, and you can feel 
where it's coming. And you just watch and you think, ah. And, uh, and you can see, right, you're not sure. And you're big, if, the, if the eyes are flipping, you think you're not really sure about this, are you? Yes. And so, you get, and so I mean, and you can tell it with me. If, if I don't believe in a script, if I don't believe in, in the text, I, they won't go in. They just, I can't learn it. Mm. And I think, why is that? And it's because I don't believe it. And so I've got to convince myself and I've got to believe it. So it'll come. You've got to find a way around to, to yeah. believe in it. And, you know, when we talked about earlier, trying things out first before judgment, that's, you know, that's one thing that I've learned that I've, I've got because sometimes I put barriers up mm. and I think, oh, no, why did I, why did I do that? You know, because it restricts me from, from, from being, here's, here's a case. Was, we were doing a, a show with Iron Oxide and Greenock, mm-hmm. it was called the Sugar Sheds. It was white gold, and we had a, a community group that were helping, and they were all kind of shell suit bobs and stuff like that, you know. And I was thinking, oh goodness, what have we got here, you know, some ragamuffins, and you know, I turn up with a bottles of Bucky and stuff. <laughs> but they were brilliant. They were there first thing in the morning, the yeah. last thing at night. Worked harder than anybody else, and were just a, a credit to to Greenock they were just perfect mm. and I remained I've remained in contact with these guys because I felt so guilty about my being judgmental mm-hmm. and thinking oh this isn't going to work and if anything they made it the special show that that it was through their endeavor you know the hard work and and generosity and sheer willingness to put up with lovey's going mm, wait a minute you know I don't want yeah, your hands yeah. dirty here and they're like oh, we all did man out the way and you know yeah, just getting yeah. right in about and they're just brilliant We've got a, a bit to learn, I think, from from people like that. Sometimes I think we forget how privileged we are yeah. getting, you know, doing this for a living. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the, for me the it's the best job in the world. I absolutely love it, and I I get paid to do something that that I adore. Yeah. I love it, Brian. Beyond beyond pay, obviously, you'd, we, we, yeah, we, you'd have to. It'd be nice to to get the big payer, but but I just do it because. It's something that I can do, mm-hmm. and I love doing. And and sometimes I've got to nip myself and say, "Well, yeah, yeah, yeah," you know, shut up and get on with it. You know, yeah. but the, the unemployment, the 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 time down between shows, that's tough. That is that is tough. You still have those gaps? Oh man, more than ever now. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. just. I think coming back. After Dundee, Dundee was such a, a a nice job for me. You know, it was, and then when the management changed and Andrew Panton took over, he just couldn't see anything for me in the in the seasons that were coming up, mm-hmm. and so um, it was uh, reluctantly on my behalf I had to move on. Yeah, um, because Dundee, you do great work there. You, you know, there's it, you, there's majority of shows I would say are, are, are it's know, a high caliber of yeah. work. Yeah, but at the same time. The infrastructure is such that it's very difficult for people to come and see your work. Yeah. And so you might be doing brilliant work, but if nobody can come and see it, yeah. Then, then you know, what, what's the point? Well, the point is, I just love doing it. But and you know, it, it kind of it, it's you're not in the loop. You're not in and same living in Stirling because you're not in Glasgow or in Edinburgh and stuff. You're kind of overlooked. You need to be in and in and about and reminding people that you're yeah, sure. That this stuff is so important. I've realised because they just oh god, what are you up to? And any yeah. chance that you could do this or that and the other? And if not, you know, if you're out the loop, the other thing is if people don't see you, they often assume that you're busy. Yeah. They say oh, we can't get. <laughs> I say, no, please, always phone me. <laughs> Especially if you don't see me. <laughs> if, you, if you don't see me, it's because I can't afford to come. Yeah, don't assume I'm busy, please. Yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. 
But yes. th- that thing about Dundee is, I suppose it begs the question, if the if the wider theatre community, in quotes, aren't seeing the work as much as you might like, the people of Dundee are seeing it. Yes. And they're getting a very high quality product on their doorstep. They, yeah, yeah. And and I think they 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 seem an appreciative bunch, the Dundonians. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, 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 they attend the theatre well. They do, so, yeah. so, and I think it's a... With with the investment that they've had over the years with the new waterfront and stuff like that, then perhaps, perhaps it will come into its own. Yeah. You know, and I think the one thing about live theatre, which is brilliant, is you can replace us. You can green screen us. You can put animations on film and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. but we're a kind of dying breed. We're we're storytellers that still do it yeah, in the true. human form on a stage, and you can't replicate that. So, no, that's true. So that's one thing that I'm, I'm kind of. We're still here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. skin of my teeth. <laughs> and my children, both my daughters, uh, one of them, Mirren, she's she's doing particularly well. Um, she's graduated from Guildhall, mm. and she's just finished. She's did the Nest for the BBC. Great. And also, she's in uh, Sex Education. Oh, is she? Is, yeah, so she plays a, a character in that. Well, she played it in the in the last series. She was in three episodes, and I think. I'm not sure she might be back in in the future in that. And my youngest daughter Molly is she's studying contemporary art, but she's also in a band called Great. the Cobalts, and she's got a voice like chocolate. Oh. She, and she's self-taught musician, right. and she's just brilliant. And uh, you know, you look back, and she's 19. Eldest is 22. The youngest is 19. What a life! I'm so excited for them because. It's all out there. You know it's, how that feels. I and and I know that I know the rejection. I know the suffering, the pain, and that I'm not worth it. I'm not going to get a job ever. I know all that, so yeah. so I can share it with them. You know, I can say, I mean, Mirren, she's you know, she's, she's no bother. She's like that, Dad. What do you do when you get offered so many scripts and stuff like that? I get offered, <laughs> I get sent a scene, right? I learn these lines, and that she gets sent a script. That's the difference between yeah, yeah, us yeah. just now. Yeah, I'm um, waiting for a script to be sent to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm like that. Oh, really? Good for you, yeah. <laughs> Tough one, isn't it? So Molly does. Is she a, a visual artist? Well, she does. She does um, this. She's a painter, right? And 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 sculptor and. Just she's because of the dyspraxia and the dyslexia and the island syndrome. Island syndrome is one where all the she looks at a white piece of paper and it just flashes colour. So she really? needs she needs special glasses and uh, oh. a hat and everything to to do her exams. This girl, we didn't even know she was. We didn't know anything about her illness until she was 14, 15. She's kept on saying that her brain didn't work the same as everybody else's, and we're like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she'd sorted kind of she'd sorted her own um, mechanism for for learning. She'd so come she, up with strategies. Yeah. She came up with her own strategy okay. of doing it and and managed to. I mean, she's got something like five hires, you know, and she's done this through her own crazy way of working, Amazing. which is a lot slower than everybody else. But just through that perseverance and 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 hard work, she's managed to to come out with really good qualifications. She is talented. Beyond belief, but she's lacking a wee bit of confidence. Yeah. But give her a microphone and a guitar. Wow. Yeah. Just something else, and you're That's like that. Wonderful. You're a wee star. Well, she's your daughter, isn't she? She's talented she's, and determined. She's uh, <laughs> the, the mother has a lot to answer. Her the mother is a, um, Callan, my 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 good wife. She 
she had her own theatre company. She employed me. That's how I got to know her. Oh. And she she had her own theatre company in Stirling and her own flat. And I was like that. It's uh-huh. <laughs> a good egg, this one. <laughs> yeah, here we go. So I managed to, you know, work my way in there. <laughs> and then years later, we find out that, oh, it's not her flat. It's actually a mum's and her aunt's flat. And I was thinking, oh, wait, 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 wait. And then she gave up the business as soon as she fell pregnant. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold on a minute. That wasn't the deal. It changes everything. Yeah. But no, she's 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 still, she te- my wife teaches at Monument uh, Dance School and she's also production manager at the, when I do pantomime at um, the Alhambra. She's production manager there right. and also director. So... She's she, still going on, still yeah. working together and still... Yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, she forgets when she gets home that, that if we're working together, if she's my director, say, when we get home, I get notes on the washing up. You know? <laughs> 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 Stop it. Like, oh, hold on a minute. Well, just it. do it right then. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she would say. <laughs> so it's it's interesting talking about, you know, the, the place of the audience and talking about Dundee and stuff like that mm-hmm. because I can't help but think that the Cheviot has, you know... A, a different place in the world now to it did when it first was shown. I mean, it first came out in the seventies. Yeah, that's a different world to bring that piece into, isn't it? Yeah. Although it's about you know broadly a Scottish history. It, but broadly, well, yeah. But let's say it's a Scottish history, but it's also it's about those that have and those that have not. Yeah. And it's about those that have wanting to have more, and those that have not who just gives a chance to get yeah, yeah. you know a, a foot in the door kind of thing and isn't so, that the, isn't that right now <laughs> it's iconic and it's worldwide yeah it's the same play and the the originally when when we first took this, the text and we were looking at it at dundee those those things that were were dated as in the, what was being said was not really an acceptable way to say it nowadays. It was say it was a bit racist mm-hmm. in in places, but that wasn't the intent when it was written. It's only with with our um, on reflection now yeah, yeah, when yeah. we look at it, it was like oh no, we can't really. So a lot of it had to be taken apart the script, and we have to change stuff like that. But the story is the same, and yeah. and it has the same relevance today as it did forty years ago. And that's the sad thing. Nothing's changed. No, nothing's changed, and we think right. What's the difference? What can we do? What we can do with the Chivia is tell the story. And it's tell a story that when I was a, a, a young man growing up, when I was at school, um, my secondary education, I didn't have any knowledge of Scotland, Scottish history. We did dome mining and stuff like that, but I, I didn't know anything about the British Empire as such. There's, there's, there's stuff we didn't that, get that. Yeah. But we got you know, what happened in, in well exactly Endless we had Hitler. Waterloo to the Great Exhibition and the First World War is what I did at history right. and that was one of my best qualifications well, I got an A in my history of grade so that was right. the one you know one, hey. yeah, there <laughs> but um, but I had no no knowledge of, of Scottish history and so the Cheviot you know is is this con- condensed history um, from from. Both sides, you can see it from yeah. from those that have wanted. Right, how can we create a better life on, on the the estates and the moors and stuff like that? And those who have not gone, how can we breed our cattle, our sheep, on our crofts and stuff just like that? Just get by, or yeah, just yeah. to get by, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then of course the forced emigration, which is quite topical nowadays. I suppose. Of course it is, yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't, you know, okay. It was the, the the Scots that were forced off their land. There was nowhere else to go but abroad and then when they were abroad unfortunately they did exactly the same thing as has happened to yeah. them 
Yeah. And their lands, they cleared people off their land, you know, indigenous. Well, the bullied become the bullies. Well, they abused the abuser. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And we did it, unfortunately, um, yeah. under the the premise of uh, being under the crown, I suppose, you know, that, that were con- but brutal and, yeah. and not, not very proud. But stuff that we have to address and we have to say, okay, look, guilty. Yeah, absolutely. I think we do. And I, th- I think I look. I look around the world at people talking about, you know, nationalism and we're fr- or we're from here, like stuff. And you know, in America, Australia, yeah. they talk about you know we're the people of this land and the people who are actually get ignored. Yes, it's yeah. amazing to me that, that the short sightedness of that. But is that some, is it something that as you get older you think, oh wait a minute, is this acceptable? Is that acceptable? Or, or is it? Have, have have has society changed? Are we looking at? I know that my kids. Uh, when when I was at school, we used to punch each other. Yeah, hi, how you doing? Boom, and give them a dead arm or something like that. And, that, and right. was, but nowadays, when kids meet each other, they they kind of cuddle. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm thinking that's that is progress for me. Yeah, you know that that people are hugging and you know and 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 physical contact, and it's not. You know, you know what's going on here. You know, yeah, when I, yeah. we wouldn't. When I was a kid, oh, you, you punched each other. You didn't hug and stuff. But now you hug, and I'm thinking, this is better. This is so much better. And if it's getting taught, and if people are getting, I, I say stuff nowadays, uh, on a side comment, watching the TV, and my girls will, no, Dad, you, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Yeah, okay. Um, and sometimes, you know, I used to get a little bit, a little bit grumpy, and like, have, yeah. I don't mean anything by it. But if if it's pointed out and it is offensive in any way, then you think, okay, I've got to readdress this. Yeah, I think and you're so, right, yeah. So if you think about clearing people off their land, and you know, there's got to be a karma, there's got to be a payback somewhere. Mm. You know, if you think about the Crusades and what, what the Christians did mm. against other religions, you know, it, it, what goes around comes around, you know, you think, oh, wait a minute. How are we going to make it better so this doesn't happen again? And ideally, learn from it. Hopefully, so yeah. that it doesn't happen again. So that we don't—we're not the type of like you say. People are changing. Yeah, you know, more emotionally in touch with each other, and hopefully, that's a sign of something bigger. Yeah, I—I—I I, I was listening to a, a lass on the radio. She's a, a lesbian priest mm-hmm. uh, in Wales, and she was come from the Church of England, um, and she's moved to Wales, and she's new to the church, but she seems to be accepted in the Welsh Church, but was was very hard to come out right. and be who she was in the Church of England, according to this um, radio programme today. And I'm thinking, th- th- things are, uh, over, f- from when I was a lad, things have changed. Yeah. Just... Yeah, that's huge. If you compare it even to when I was growing up, yeah. I went to church and stuff, you can't imagine. Like, Well, of course, it would never happen in the Catholic Church. That's where I went. It'll be a while. Yeah. Sadly. Very I was, sadly. I was, I was brought up Catholic... Um, I was St. Gregory's. In fact, I got the belt. I was at St. Gregory's in Mary Hill, and I'd, I'd come back from Malta. I'd been in Malta for four years. Um, I came back and I was at St. Gregory's in Mary Hill. The, can you imagine the, the wee English-speaking boy? <laughs> the uh, English-accented boy the, from Malta. Uh, yeah, and so straight away, the headmaster gave me the belt. And I can't even remember what for. And then years later, I was at chapel in Partick, and he was there. I said, excuse me, um, I don't know if you remember me, you gave me the belt, and he said, oh, you must have deserved it. I said, no, in actual fact, I didn't, but he just laughed it off, and I thought, wait a minute, I, you know, and I was there in the Catholic Church going like that, and I could feel venom and spite and, and angst, and then I, I kept, I, I 
be honest with you, I kept I was I was forced to go to chapel by my dad. And there was no question, we just that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. went to chapel yeah. and we went to confession and we we you know we the took whole Holy bit. Communion, the whole lot. And then as years as I became a dad myself, I thought, well I'm not gonna force my kids into this. I'm gonna invite them to come along. They can come along with me at chapel. And they came So along. you were still going at that I time. I was still going. Mm-hmm. Came along a couple of times and then they said, nah, Dad, we don't want to go. I thought, oh, fair enough. And then I had this kind of... My kids went away on holiday, and I had a friend who I hadn't seen for a number of years. He came up, and he had some um, cannabis mm-hmm. with him that I hadn't tried for a long time, and it was a particularly strong strain. Now, he left me with the cannabis, and my kids were away with my wife on holiday, and I went to town I just as you do as my addictive personality right. yeah, yeah, yeah. but I learned a few things about myself and I was I ended up getting sectioned and in Ward 1 in Falkirk for a week really um, and they um, the the doctor the psychiatrist um, said that I was suffering from bi- I was bipolar right um, in actual fact it was a cannabinoid episode and I told him it was a cannabinoid episode yeah um, but he refused to accept that and, and so this was, it was I was prescribed Deprocot a thousand mil of Deprocot to take a day for the rest of my life I never took a pill I just I put them under my tongue and I spat them in my pocket and stuff and when I got home and I took my shirt off and all the pills fell out my, my wife's like oh my god no 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 you're I said look I'm telling you it was a cannabinoid episode that's it it's yes. finished all I needed it was lack of sleep and out my nut yeah, yeah yeah and at that time i questioned my religion yep and it was a big eye-opener for me and i believe there are many paths that lead up the hill and if that's what you want to believe in them fantastic and mm-hmm. i all the best but for me i've now decided i'm taking a back seat for catholicism and any other form of religion just now i'm just going to try and work through the way of being nice Mm-hmm. To everybody, to treat others as you, as you like to be treated yourself, I yeah. suppose. And um, I think my my kids saw me in a, a bit of a desperate state. So I think the good thing about that is that that will most probably turn them against cannabis for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, so that was hope, a, yeah. a, a good sign that um, you know drugs aren't clever, and your dad was a mess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, but at the same time, it opened up so many doors. And when well, I was, this is it. Know, People have these spiritual experiences using I, using substances. Yeah. Honestly, Brian, some of it was my, the rest of my family that noticed there was something wrong with me. Some of it was very lucid and and and, and thoughtful and beyond my usual yeah kind of capabilities. But I was coming up with some ingenious stuff, and so my brain was you know opened up and it was quite incredible. But Mm. Just that one step too far, lot, but yeah. that's me and my addictive personality. Yeah. You know, you just go, oh man, again. <laughs> I can't do that either. What can I do? Well, another thing on the list, yeah. yeah. But then my theory is that if your brain can expand in that way and have those experiences, then it is available to you in some yeah. sense. And yes, the quick route to opening that up sometimes is these other things that you put in, but actually it must be in there somewhere. And I think it's in there in a much more subtle and a much more deep way. Mm-hmm. You know, over a longer period of time, I think it's available to us. Well, it must be because it's there. It's, it's there. Uh, these are just little triggers that open the doors for just you. Just a little push, and it's yeah. a quick oh, push. I love that. Yeah. yeah. But having said that, there's some things I was doing that were just no. <laughs> so it's not all spiritually <laughs> awakened. <laughs> Come on, mate. <laughs>
<laughs> what is going on here? Well, <laughs> it was brilliant to talk to you. I had no idea that's where we were going to go, but I loved it. No, thanks. No. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks. Billy Mac there. What else is there to say? Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time. And also big thanks to the people here at National Theatre of Scotland for for allowing me the the space to do these things, for supporting the show, um, and the incredible amount of administration and production that goes in as well. Um, We're doing, I mean, between organising the guests, uh, booking the space, putting the stuff online, writing copy, making teas, you know, constant emails and now we're talking about doing live shows as well so i want to thank everybody who's involved in making this possible because they do a tremendous amount of work and i must say it's a relief for me because normally i have to do most of that myself along with my cohort my cohort my co my co-producer i don't know rosa duncan the amazing rosa duncan who does the social media work for me so yes big thanks to everybody and but mainly thanks to you for listening for supporting the show for telling your pals sharing it far and wide brilliant stuff remember you can follow me on social media it's pit cc pod on instagram and twitter and you just search for putting it together on facebook um, that's how you can get in touch and it's also how you can tell your pals that you're enjoying the show so I appreciate if you would do that because it lets people know that the show exists and maybe um, people who didn't know about it will hear about it. So uh, that's about all for me. Um, have a gentle week. Have a beautiful time. Keep breathing deeply and uh, enjoy life. And until next week when I have a brand new guest for you in another episode, I'll just say the usual. Cheerio now. <laughs>